So the title of our, our message today is Wholehearted Thanks. And I've been really enjoying um, being in the Psalms these past three weeks. Hopefully you haven't gotten like sick of it, of the word Thanksgiving or you know, giving thanks on the topic. Because I think that it is an important topic. And as we'll see from this Psalm, it's a, it's a whole encompassing topic. It's not just a, giving thanks to God isn't just something you do on the side or something you do once a year on a Thursday but something that encompasses the whole of your life. It's a lifestyle choice. Because, and it's important to remember, especially in church, because as we near Thanksgiving, we start to near, you know, it's a milestone for what we would call, you know, the holiday season, you know, near the end of the year. We, we have, you know, Halloween, okay, we have Thanksgiving, and then we have Christmas. And for, for us, as we see them approaching, there's a lot of obligation. Oh, I have to clean the house. I have to host people. I have to cook. I have to, I have to you know, be around family that maybe I'm not thrilled about being around. And there's a lot of generational gaps with how we should view, how people view obligation to family and how people view obligation to enact their traditions of Thanksgiving over and over. I was reading this poll that basically said that most young adults in America actually just prefer Friendsgiving instead of Thanksgiving. If you've never heard of Friendsgiving, it's basically Thanksgiving, but you don't spend it with your family, your lame family. You spend it with your friends, and you hang out with friends. And apparently you give thanks, even though it sounds like you give friends. I don't know. But Friendsgiving is often the alternative to, like, I don't want to do that. I want to do Thanksgiving. Instead of you know, meeting family obligations and being around weird people, I, I'd rather do this other thing. But we should understand that no matter how you celebrate Thanksgiving, no matter what the traditions you may have, maybe you go out for Chinese, maybe you order in pizza or something like that, I'm not here to tell you exactly how to spend your Thanksgiving holiday. Rather, we're going to look at the psalm and understand how to give ourselves over to the act of thanksgiving and with what intensity we should give ourselves in, to the act of thanksgiving. Because if there's one thing we do understand about thanksgiving, it is an obligation, it is a duty. Scripture tells us, give thanks to the Lord, it's a command. But when we think of it, sometimes it becomes a kind of a drag. Oh, I have to do this thing. You know, the family's going around in a big circle. We're saying each two things to be thankful for. I got to think of two things in my mind to spout off to, to, you know, give to everyone. And then, you know, that's it. But how do we make Thanksgiving a delight? How do we, in other words, avoid half-hearted things? And how do we wholeheartedly giving thanks to God? Well, we, in short, for Christians, for those who are God's people, we should give thanks to where it is due, namely to God. And we're, when we're talking about the big blessing, I'm not talking about, oh, thanks, you know, for changing my oil in my car, you know, uh, uh, thanks for the meal, thanks for, you know, the wait to the waitress for bringing my meal at Denny's or something like that. Those are, you know, small things. But when we're talking about the overarching intervention in our lives, the great blessings we receive, it would be, of course, wrong as Christians to say, oh, you know what, thanks to the universe, thanks to providence, you know, thanks to my lucky stars for these blessings. And we, and we know it's wrong to, to say, oh, I thank the universe for these things. We know it's wrong, but it's more than just saying something, but it's a whole lifestyle. And we, when we commit 
to giving thanks to God, we should do so wholeheartedly. So moving on from the, what, what we might call note card thanks, saying, oh, thanks God for this thing. Moving on from there to an entire lifestyle devoted to giving God thanks. And the reason for that should be readily apparent to you if you're part of a church, if you call yourself a Christian, because God's people really have the most reason to give thanks out of anyone in the world. I was hearing about this um, Indian tribe in the, I think it was the Bay Area, and you know, for a lot of um, Native Americans in America, Thanksgiving has kind of become a day of mourning that, you know, we've kind of lost our culture, you know, we've kind of been colonized, and there, there is a few tragedies in history that we do have to acknowledge for that, but th there's a certain tribe in the Bay Area that gathers early in the morning, and they devote themselves to giving thanks, and they celebrate giving thanks, and someone asked them, you know, you know, your people have historically been, you know, exploited in the past, and you know, you've had a lot of things against you. And one of the leaders of the tribe basically said, well, why wouldn't we give thanks? We have so many blessings here in America. We have so many blessings here today that we are thankful that we're even alive. And how much more should Christians who know the true living God from whom all blessings come give thanks wholeheartedly and devote ourselves to this sort of celebration, the, the wholehearted celebration of this kind of holiday. And so let's go ahead and dive into this psalm, Psalm 138, to understand exactly what David means, the psalm writer, by wholehearted thanks. In verse 1, we read, David speaking, he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you, you have exalted all things, your name. Uh, you have exalted above all things, your name and your word. First thing we should understand about Thanksgiving, and I'm not talking about the holiday, I'm talking about the act of Thanksgiving to God, is that Thanksgiving is worship, is worship. Thanksgiving has an object in mind. Thanksgiving requires a thinker and a thinky, if you will. I think that would probably be the case. So when we give thanks, we should remember that when we give thanks to God, there really is someone on the end of the line. There really is a God who hears our, our thanks and appreciates our thanks. I heard a quote from some um, theologian where God's, he was mentioning that God loves gratitude. God loves grateful hearts because he gets so little gratitude, so it's very precious to him. And isn't that kind of true that we, we give thanks so little? We maybe think about it once a year, but, and we, you know, we maybe give some kind of token thanks for specifically our dinner time because that's when we say grace. But Thanksgiving for David, he says it's worship. It is the worship of God. So he says right here, I sing your praise. He parallels thanksgiving with singing, and he bows down towards God's holy temple. And so this is not just David imparting information to God, saying, I'm thankful for this in this kind of formal way. He, this is whole heart really whole body worship where he's bowing down before the temple of God where he is being worshipped and he's singing 
to God. Now, we don't sing unless we're really moved, right? Sometimes, I, I have to confess, sometimes, you know, it's hard to um, get myself in the mood to, to sing because it takes a lot of work, even, even worship. You know, it takes a lot of work. You have to kind of warm yourself up. And I remember even as, uh, as, a, as a kid in church, I didn't like to sing because it, it tired me out. I would often start yawning because I was like, I'm tired. It's in the morning. I don't want to sing. It takes a lot of work. So you, it's something you have to be excited about. And so David is excited about this. He's singing to God. I don't understand exactly, just as an aside, I don't understand how we have all these Christian Christmas albums. You know, we have Chris Tomlin's Christmas album, we have Matthew, um, Michael W. Smith and Matthew West Christmas albums, but like we don't have any Thanksgiving albums. Like when we're looking for a Thanksgiving playlist, we want a Thanksgiving album, and you know, there's no Thanksgiving themed album. That's just an aside thing. But why, why shouldn't we have songs of Thanksgiving? And I know we do have songs of Thanksgiving in particular, and rightly so. So David... He treats Thanksgiving simply as worship. And if he doesn't make that distinction between Thanksgiving and worship, neither should we as a congregation. And so we should understand that this is no cold, impersonal thank you card that God is, or David is sending to God, nor is it a casual act, nor is it flippant, we should understand. But it's an outcry of utter dependency on a deity for what one has received. Psalm 86, verse 12 says this, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever. Thanksgiving understands that I have a God. I have someone to whom I owe everything I have. And the one true God, I owe my existence. And so when we see that David is giving thanks in verse 1, he's giving thanks before the gods. What exactly should we understand that to mean? David is giving thanks in distinction to all other gods in the world, all the other false gods who cannot hear thanks because they don't exist. Before those God, before those other gods, those false gods, David understands that thanks is due to the one true God. God's temple here being the place where God's glory dwells, and so this temple in distinction of all other temples where you might worship God he gives thanks to the one true God to whom thanksgiving is actually due. So it's not only that, oh, I love my personal God, it's that it's the most accurate thing to ascribe great things to God. And as we'll read in a little bit, um, the whole world, this, this is something the whole world should recognize, no matter how many gods they worship, that there really is one true God, if we're speaking accurately, to give thanks. If we look at other passages, we might think of Moses in Exodus 15, 11, Moses is speaking, and he says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Psalm 86, verse 8 also says, There is none like you among the gods. O Lord, there, is, there are none with works, nor are there any works like yours. The other gods that people worship not only back then, but today, you know, the gods of pride, fame, and maybe literally idolatry because, you know, things like paganism and Wiccanism is on the rise, even in America today, where we have literal witches worshiping other things. Those kinds of things are really useless because those don't have the power to act. Those don't even have the power to listen for our things. In Jeremiah chapter 10, Jeremiah talks about how a, a silversmith, he makes a god, and it instantly puts him to shame because he's the one making his god, 
but it can't actually do anything for him. Whereas we are the ones being made by God, and therefore we are less than God, and so we owe things to him. And so all this is to underscore that we would be wrong if we attribute the blessings we have in this life, the intervention of God in this life, to some kind of plurality of causes or just multiple things. Oh, you know what? That was lucky. That was lucky. You know, my, um, my handyman really helped me out fixing my garage door. The, the, all those kind of things where we have this low-level understanding of what it means to be thankful and what it means to be grateful and appreciative of the things, the larger things we have in our life, And we forget sometimes that God is the one to whom we should ascribe all thanks. And notice also that David gives thanks to God's name. In in this psalm right here, in verse 2, he says he gives thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not that, you know, God's name in particular, how does it abstractly work? God's name, we might think of it. And yes, he is referring, he's using the name of God that God gave his people to use, Yahweh, to refer to him. But the name of God is shorthand for the reputation of God, for the every good attribute of God. So when he says the name of God, it's kind of like God's whole reputation. Everything you think of when you think of the goodness of of the true God, Yahweh, that David is talking about. So when he's thanking God, he's referring to his reputation. And another translation may be noted in your Bible, um, which sounds like my, my Bible has one of those notes on the bottom where the translators note, and it might sound like this, because you have magnified your word above all your name, as he says later in verse 2. And so if we think about what, what is he say, he's magnifying his word above his name. What exactly should we take that to mean? Well, David is saying basically that God is proven greater than even what I've heard about in his reputation, if that makes any sense. In other words, we might say if this is like not uh, uh, irreverent, God is better than advertised, if you will. I heard good things about God, But now, now that I'm walking with God and I taste the goodness of God and I'm experiencing the goodness of God, I found that he is better than I originally thought. So most advertisements in this world have their their marketing campaign for a product, if you will, is usually not the product itself because they know, you know, how are we going to sell, you know, uh, I don't know, a hamburger, a McDonald's hamburger, or something like that. You know, the McDonald's hamburger isn't the greatest thing in the world. So they sell, oh, here's convenience. We're going to sell a lifestyle on the go. We're going to sell something cheap you can give to your kids. So they're selling a whole, you know, fiction, if you will. They create a story to sell these things for you. God doesn't have to write fiction about himself. He doesn't have to have a marketing campaign to say, oh, this is, you know, uh, you should really try me. You should just uh, try me for 30 days, and, you know, if, if I don't work out and your money back. God says, my reputation precedes me. And David says, your reputation did not even prepare me for how good God actually is. And so as we, we understand that Thanksgiving is worship, we should move even further into the experience that David has with the goodness of God. And we should understand that Thanksgiving is not only worship. Thanksgiving to God is not, but we should also note that Thanksgiving uh, to God is not merely said, but experienced. So these aren't just words that David's saying. These aren't things that 
David saying, oh, uh, let, me, let me think of some words to put in a song because I need some lyrics. This is coming from uh, the deep well of David's experience of his heart. Of course, as we've learned from the past few weeks, we have objective reasons to give things. We have general reasons to give things. Even the entire world, who, the people who don't believe in God have reason to give things because their heart's beating, you know, they're alive, for instance, they're, they're breathing air, things like that. But for David, it was God's personal interaction with him that really informed his worship and his thanksgiving. So his experience informed his worship. And that really should be the same for us. Um, a lot of churches today, they sometimes, when they talk about their service that they have, they have a worship experience. And it's true that worship itself, when we're singing to God, it is an experience. And we, we sing to God and we're, we're mouthing these words and these wonderful words that give praise to God. And that's something, that is something that we should feel in our hearts. But for those Christians, for us who are walking with um, God day by day, a lot of the experience we have that comes out in worship takes place, you know, Monday through Saturday, not just the worship on Sunday. So we experience the faithfulness of God every day, and David's recounting of God's faithfulness is what informs his worship. Look at this in verse 3. Case in point, David says, On the day I called, you answered me, and my strength of soul you increased. So notice, something happened we don't know the exact uh, occasion where David called out to God. We don't have that context um, in, the, in the preceding notes of this psalm. We just know that David wrote it. So we don't know the situation he's referring to. But he's talking about the immediacy with which God replies to his calling out to him, to his uh, appeal to God. And he also notes the power with which God speaks. He says, my strength of soul, you increased. He came back a changed person because of his interaction with God. So thanksgiving is not merely something that we say, something that's you know, a token tradition that, oh, well, well, this is something that we do, but it's something that's deeply felt. And it comes through recounting our experiences of God's faithfulness to us. The, the Puritans of old would probably call this um, experimental but we, in the way we would call it experiential, where it comes out of our daily experience. So Thanksgiving is deeply felt. And yes, it can be emotionally felt. Who wouldn't get excited? Who wouldn't get emotional about the fact that God has delivered his people from certain death and destruction and judgment in hell and has delivered them into salvation so that we can look forward to eternal life. Who wouldn't get emotional about that? And if you are emotional, if you're just cold and formal, I just think, have you really remembered the goodness of God? And so, has God intervened in your life? I mean, the, the answer should be yes, but if you can't think of things, think a little bit deeper. Think past in your memory, because this is what David's doing. He's going back in his memory, and he's looking for these interventions in God's behalf. You might think, well, I mean, the, there hasn't been like anything miraculous. You know, I haven't you know, had my arm chopped off and had it magically grow back or something like that that I can give thanks God, to God for. So we have to ask, well, what is it, a valid intervention of God in our lives? Well, a valid intervention 
that God has in a Christian's life, what we would simply call probably a, a testimony. The fact that I was a sinner, I was blind and destitute and in great need, and I was so bad that I didn't even know my great need until the scripture, that, until the gospel came and God told me, hey, you're in this really bad situation, but Christ can come and save you, he can come and deliver you, and so now I believed on Christ and I'm a new creation. That simple testimony is itself a testimony of God's goodness. And on top of that, we can, give, we can give so many other examples, if we really think about it, of God's delivering us you know, financially, of God's healing a relative, of God's you know, um, helping a friend believe on the Lord because it's an answer to prayer. So when we think about God's deliverance, we shouldn't go... Um, we should take Paul's cue, for instance, when he talks in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul's recounting his own conversion, and he says, well, I mean, I, I have been crucified in Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live in the flesh, but I only live through faith but in the Son of God. And he's recounting these things, and we're like, Paul wasn't exactly crucified. What, what is he talking about? It's the experience that he had with God that he's giving thanks for. So we don't know how God answered his prayer specifically. We don't know whether God answered David verbally or audibly or something happened in his life where he was just, oh, this has to be God intervening. But we do know that God promises to answer us in Scripture and that we, if we call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, in repentance, for forgiveness of our sin, for instance, that God will answer because he is faithful to keep his promises. So thanks, David's thanks to God it just continues to hammer on his character and the goodness of his character. But we have to ask, is this specific to David only? Is this really relativized to, okay, well, David, you know, he was just you know, this was his kind of personality. You know, giving thanks to God was his thing. Being emotional maybe was, you know, his, something that he personally felt and was personally inclined to. But we see that that's not exactly the case because our, our third point, giving thanks to God, is universally due, as we'll begin to see in verse 4. That it's not just David in his personal God and his personal relationship with God, but it's the whole world that should recognize the power of God and the thanksgiving and the obligations they owe to God. Verse 4 says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O God, or O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. So this is no personal matter that's only in existence where David feels like he's experienced this, this thing only, and it's, it's really hard to understand from any other culture. Really, everyone has reason to give thanks for the true God. And the reasoning here is that if the kings of the earth would only hear the words of the Lord, they would recognize that God is good when they hear God speaking, when they hear God performing great things simply by speaking them into existence, when they understand that power of the word of God, they will believe. This, this isn't David saying that all the kings of the earth right now in his time are going to believe in God. This is say, him more saying if the kings of the earth were to hear the great stories of God's deliverance, they would definitely believe. 
And this is part of a common biblical theme, especially in the Psalms, where the rulers of the earth, no matter how powerful they are, they still are, at best, a inferior, an inferior authority to God's universal rule. Psalm 102, verse uh, 15, I believe it is, says, Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. So the gods, or I'm sorry, the kings in the earth in this passage, they recognize the gods, the, the glory of the Lord, but look how they recognize the glory of the Lord. They have heard the words of your mouth. Moreover, verse 5, they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. So interestingly, God's glory is shown not with networking with the big shot kings and you know, coming to them solely with his glory, but he shows his glory, God shows his glory by interacting with the lowly. God stays far at arm's length, if you will, from the haughty, from the prideful people, but he's very close to the lowly individual, and that's the individual who has most reason to give thanks James chapter 1, um, verses 9 through 10, tells us something about the lowly brother, the, maybe the, the humble person, maybe the poor person in the midst of a congregation. He says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So what, what James is telling us here is not that rich people are bad and poor people are good. He's saying that poor people... The humble people, the lowly people, have the most reason to glorify God because the glory of God is most seen through when you're most humble. They reflect the power of God. So the lowly among us are valuable to God. And we should remember that when we are giving thanks this week and when we approach the holidays, that the lowly among us are valuable to God and deserve to be served no matter what capacity that is, no matter what charity that uh, may be, if we are serving you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and the world uh, out, out in the world who are lowly, who are humble, we are giving them an opportunity to glorify God even more. But why is this important that kings of the earth, everyone from the kings to the lowliest person, why is it important that they recognize the goodness and, the, and give thanks to God? Well, this is a reminder to us that the generous character of God invites people around the entire world to come and worship Him. So God, out of His generosity of character, is not confining Himself to one particular ethnic nation in the world. Rather, we understand the goodness and the graciousness of God that His grace extends to the entire world, and He invites the entire world to come and to experience His goodness. John chapter 4, verse 23 tells us the way in which God, the terms upon which God invites the world to Him. Jesus is speaking, and He says, the hour is coming and is now here, that Jesus is there, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? Because the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. This is God's you know, growth plan to the world. Come and worship Me. Come and experience My goodness. Leave your false gods who can't do anything for you and come experience the true goodness of God. So we understand that the promises of God 
are wide and they're far-reaching. They reach kings on earth and they reach even the lowliest person. And they're fulfilled even in our day by the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the good news that, hey, Jesus came for you and he offers himself to you to save you and to come and worship the true God. That's our message to the world, no matter what culture, no matter what tribe, no matter if the people have never heard of a Bible or a Jesus. That's our message to them because it's the generosity of God that's bringing them into the family. And so those of you who maybe have grown up in the church, you should recognize that you have the true God. You have the one that people in other cultures will only wish to hear about. So you might be thinking, you know, I, I've, you know, I've experienced church in my young life. My parents, you know, brought me here. But is there anything else? Well, I, let me tell you, spoiler alert, there's really nothing else. There's really nothing as good as God because there are no other gods themselves. And so we should understand the privileges that we have to sit you know, Sunday after Sunday, just learning about the goodness of God. We shouldn't think, is there anything else out there? Well, trust me, there isn't. David himself is saying, before the gods, I'm singing your praise because you are the one that we should give thanks to. And so, number four, we learn in this psalm that giving thanks to God for David anticipates his provision, anticipates God's provision in his life. And here we'll, we'll read the remainder of the psalm. He says in Psalm 138, verses 7 through 8, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your, right, your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. So David gives thanks to God in preparation for the troubles he may endure for the trials he's going to approach in his life. And not only that, but he stands assured of the will of God. And that when he is worshiping God, he is in the direct will of God. And he understands that if he's in the will of God, then he cannot be moved because God's will itself cannot be thwarted. We see that in Job chapter 42, verse 2, where Job is acknowledging, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So what's David's assurance of this? Is it arrogance? Is it self-sufficiency? Is it the fact that, oh, you know what, I, I, I'm just such a great person that I know God is on my side. No, David's just looking at the past promises of God and saying, by simple deduction, I know that God will, verse 8, fulfill his purpose for me. That he will not forsake the work of his hands in my life. And notice from verse um, 2 to verse 8, he talks about God's loving kindness and his faithfulness. And David understands that God's loving kindness in verse 8, he comes to a realization it endures forever. And so he has hope for the future because it endures forever in his life. And so what's our come away? What's, what's our come away point from this psalm when we understand that when we worship God, we are accurately worshiping God because there is no other God who could take credit for the things that God is doing. How do we come away from this psalm in our own life? How do we you know, celebrate Thanksgiving in the way that maximizes our, our time and, and our, the, the distractions we might feel in our heart? How, does, how do we single-heartedly, wholeheartedly come before God and worship? Well, we should remember that 
It's only to God to whom we are thankful. But that's a hard thing to remember sometimes. I'm sure you have it all down right here, you know, on this hour and a half on Sunday. Okay, we, we are thankful to God alone, and we should worship God alone. But when Monday comes around, especially in the holidays, it can be, thanks, uh, it can be really difficult, and it can be fragmenting to our own hearts to distract ourselves with the, the love of, you know, tradition, of sentimentality. And the devil would like nothing more for us to be thankful to general causes to be appreciative of, you know, Thanksgiving is, and Christmas is just about family and about believing in ourselves and about having a good time as long as we don't name the true God to whom we should be thankful. So we should combat that inclination in our own hearts to be distracted and to be fragmented and remember that we should owe God our whole hearts in thanks. Because it's to God and it's due to God that we are even brought together, that we are even brought near in to experience His will and His goodness in our lives. Think of the unifying factor that brought us here all together even this morning. It's not the fact that you know, we love tradition and we love traditional values and things like that. It's the fact that Christ invites us to a Thanksgiving table, but really a communion table where he says, you all need to come together and partake of my sacrifice for you, my body that I gave for you, my blood that I gave for you in order to wash you clean from your sins so that you can be unified and you can experience the, thanks, the goodness of the true God to whom you owe thanks. And so it's not an option. God commands us to really draw near and to give thanks and we are the ones who really are, if we think about it, we are the lowly ones in the psalm. We are not the kings, necessarily. We are the lowly ones whom God found and said, I will reach out to you. I will help you. I will deliver you. And that's what the church is made of. And so we should understand this Thanksgiving that Jesus is worthy of our wholehearted thanks. And not just Thanksgiving, also remember that in March, also remember that in July, and throughout the year, to whom we owe this great obligation of our hearts and our worship. And there are two reasons for this, and two reasons that we kind of see indirectly related in our text this morning, is the fact that Jesus in our lives comes to us in our lowliest state. That's the first thing we should remember. As I said before, we are that lowly person. We are the ones whom God has to reach down. As, as Pastor Robert had said a couple weeks ago, God has to reach down and bring us up from our lowly state, from our sinful state, from the place in which we can't even help ourselves. We're like in quicksand. That's what we are in sin. And we have to reach out to something external to help ourselves. And we can't even help ourselves because we have no strength, you know, even to get us up. But God is the one who brings us out. So God comes to us in our lowliest state. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, Paul writes this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, who were alienated from God, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's our unifying factor when we understand that we're all destitute. We're all poor. We're all lowly, and God is the one who delivers us. But also, the reason, another reason, and there are many, another reason that Jesus is worthy of our wholehearted thanks is that he is sovereign over our past, present, and future. The promise that 
David mentions in the last verse of this psalm isn't just for David alone. It's not something that God did special for him in a one-off way, but it's something that God promises us today who are created new in Christ Jesus. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul's writing again. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, in your hearts, in your souls, will, begin, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we can take a promise like Psalm 138, verse 8, and apply it to our own lives and say, God has proven himself faithful, and I know that if I'm in his will, that I cannot be moved. And as we consider that, consider all the things you have been uh, delivered from, and consider all the answers to prayer that God has given you, and just remember and be thankful, and decide within your heart to whom you're going to devote your heart and your soul. And that's what we're going to do as we close in prayer. And so, Father, we thank you wholeheartedly. We thank you with our worship. We thank you with our lives. The fact that, Lord, we were in a really bad state. And, Lord, it was only through your intervention that you deliver us and you set us free from our sin. And so, Lord, I ask that, Lord, those among us who are Christians, that we would reach back in our memories and just remember and recount all the times you've answered prayer, that, Lord, even in the future when you answer prayer, that we would take note of it, that we would literally just record it in our minds so that we would have the material with which to come back in full worship, in loving hearts to give you thanks. And, Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not know you. They do not know of the goodness of the Lord. Let them consider your loving kindness and your mercies the things they already have to give thanks for. And so that I ask that they would even draw near by the blood of Christ to taste the goodness of God and to experience things for which they would give him thanks, for which anyone, if they saw it, would give them thanks. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be, continue to be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.